Every time you're trying to look up information about the housing market or even looking through YouTube, everywhere you turn is saying housing crash, crash, crash. And sure, home prices have been coming down in some areas, but the biggest crisis in the United States is home affordability, and nobody's talking about that. There's been several factors that have caused the affordability crisis, and we're going to be getting into that. And I actually have some solutions to the affordability crisis. If anybody wants to listen to me up there, you know, they, the powers that be, listen to me. I got some answers. While home prices are declining in many areas across the United States, it still isn't making homes affordable for most Americans. According to the National Association of Home Builders, they say that we're 1.5 million homes short. But if you look at the National Association of Realtors, they say we're about 6.5 million homes short. And that doesn't include the 7.1 apartment homes that were short across the United States. So I ran across a really interesting article by uh, the Affordable Upstate Multifamily Investments. It discusses the affordability crisis here in the United States. It explains that the cost of buying a house has become unaffordable for the family earning the median income. And I've been saying this for the last three years. Any family that is making the median income in most areas cannot afford the median priced home. And that's a problem. According to this article, they explain that there are several reasons why they believe that this has caused such a problem. First off, they're saying there isn't enough people to build the homes that they need to have built. I always have complained that the home builders aren't building enough homes because they don't want to get stuck with a bunch of empty homes in case the market turns. It isn't just that. They weren't able to build homes fast enough because they didn't have enough workers to show up on site to get the job done. It made it even worse during the pandemic as home builders weren't able to get supplies and they had a lack of crews that were showing up to do roofing, framing, electricity. And then the ones that did show up ended up costing them as a home builder a lot more money than in turn causing home prices to go up even more. And we all know what happened for the last two to three years. Home prices skyrocketed, making home affordability even worse. According to National Association of Home Builders, had its projected they need 2.2 new hires in 2024. Rising home prices coupled with inflation have made it more difficult for families to afford a home. Although the real median household income has grown modestly over the last decade, but it hasn't kept up with the exponential rate of how much homes have increased. Most American families are spending almost 42% of their income on their mortgage. This is resulting in mortgage burdened families and some have been priced out of the market altogether. And then my good friend Jerome Powell decided to aggressively attack inflation. And what did that do? It contributed to the housing affordability crisis. Rising interest rates directly affected the mortgage rate and reduced the purchasing power of the average American family, making home buying more expensive and way more difficult. And we can't forget the reason of institutional investors, my favorite. They've been buying up as many single family homes across the United States, and they've been trying to downplay the fact of the impact that they have made, but it's made it so abundantly clear now. They can't even hide it. They turned those homes into rentals, constraining the single family home market, particularly the starter home category, pushing the dream of the first time home buyer even further out of reach for many. The big effect on the whole thing has made it extremely dire for people that are below that median income. When housing isn't affordable for the median household, it becomes a crisis for those living in less. Rents go up in affordable housing markets and the supply dwindles far below demand, making housing costs very unsustainable for many households. But single family homes aren't the only ones that are seeing this issue. And if you think this isn't going to affect you because you've decided to rent and you're not planning on ever buying a house, just listen to this. According to the National Low Income Housing Coalition, they found a shortage of 7.3 affordable and available rental homes for extremely low renters in the United States. For every 100 extremely low income 
income renters, there's only 33, 33 affordable units for them. 7.3 million rental units that need to be available to people for low income is an issue. That's why we're seeing so much increase of homelessness throughout the United States. It's all tied together. In many areas, you're starting to see people popping up on camper vans and they're lining the road because they can't find an affordable place to live. So the only thing they had left to do was to go ahead and buy a camper van and live on the streets. These people are working. We both had jobs. You know, we both were working and but we weren't making he wasn't making enough to pay rent. So it was just like we couldn't. It seemed like everything just went downhill after that. They just can't find an affordable place to live. This crisis has gotten out of control, but I have some solutions. I'm genuinely interested to hear what you think of my solutions at the end. Incentive number one, there are tons of kids that don't know what they want to do when they grow up. If you incentivize them to sign on to the trades, whether it is plumbing, whether it's building, whether it's roofing, to encourage them to let them know that this is a great job and you have job security. As AI takes over so many of the jobs that we look at today, the one thing they can't take away is the things you can do with your hands. There could be like a government-backed scholarship program and other incentives to show kids how to build their own business in construction. So that way they don't look at it as a dead-end job. It's one that's going to always be available to them. Even if all home construction went into the modular construction, you're still going to need those people in the trades to be able to put those homes together, do the plumbing, do the wiring, and they will always have a job. They won't have to worry about it being taken over by robots. That's a big concern right now. And speaking of encouraging people to build, even if it's taken over by modular home construction, we need to start building houses like they did in the 50s. We need to start building two-bedroom, one-bath houses, three-bedroom, two-bath houses, and smaller neighborhoods with zero lot lines. Most kids I know that are my daughter's age, they are not particular. And I know that's like goes against to a lot of things that you've heard, but most of them are saying, I just want a place that I could call my own with a little place where I could take my little dog outside to go potty and pick up its poop and call it a day. They are not looking for the whole bells and whistles. They just want a place they can call their own. So I think that communities need to get together and either allow for tiny home construction, not the tiny homes that are on wheels, but the tiny homes that are on slabs. And local governments need to work with developers to allow for them to build these homes on land that they already own. If the government owns it, they can give it to them for a lot less than it would cost them on the open market. In addition, in addition to zoning regulations, governments can offer incentives to developers who create affordable housing options. For example, they can offer density bonuses or fast track their approval process for projects that include a certain percentage of affordable housing. It's important to note, though, that smaller homes and smaller plots of land may not be suitable for everyone. Governments should work to create a range of housing options that can accommodate as many options and sizes that people would need in your area. If you want to encourage people to stay in your area, offer smaller homes that are much more affordable for them to stay. All right, my next idea might be a little controversial, but I like controversy. And that is if you're paying this much rent, that's how much you should be approved for a loan. If you have two years of good credit history with you never missing a rent payment and you're paying $3,000 a month, you should be able to be approved for a loan for $3,000 a month. Of course, credit score would factor in. That should mean to any bank that you have the credit history and the trust that you'll pay them. It's your house. Of course, you're going to pay. You're more likely to pay your mortgage than you are 
our rent. A rent-to-mortgage program can be administered through the government agency or even a private lender. The program should be designed to help renters who have a good payment history and can afford the mortgage payments but may not have the large down payment. Now, to ensure the success of the program, it's important to carefully screen the applicants to ensure that they can afford a mortgage payments. While the program can be beneficial for renters, it is important to note that they may not be suitable for everybody. Some renters may prefer to continue renting and some may not have no interest in ever owning a home. But can I tell you, the powers that be really don't want you to ever own a home. They always want you renting because they can make more money off of you if, if you rent. So just keep that in mind. If you want to stick it to the man, own a home. All right, here's my next one. And I really think this is a great idea. If you were buying your first home ever, 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 you've never, ever been on a title of any house ever, one and a half percent off your mortgage rate, not in closing costs. This is an incentive. Your mortgage your FHA, your rural development, your VA loan for your very first home, you get off 1.5% of your interest rate. Now, it would have to be a government-backed loan. I can't imagine Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac putting up with that. But I think it'd be a fantastic way to get people into their very first house since most buyers right now are trying to find their very first home. And usually first-time home buyers, even in the rockiest of housing markets, are the ones that keep the housing market going. So if you encourage them by giving them that 1.5% off of their interest rate for the 30-year mortgage, that would be fantastic. Now, the thing is, is that you would have to make it sure that it's your very first time. If you've been divorced, but you were married and you owned a house together and you want to buy your first house, nope, that doesn't count. You already bought a house together. If you bought a condo and now you're buying your first single family house, that doesn't count. You already had a house. You had a condo that had a mortgage on it. You owned a house before. If you were on a house with a friend or you co-signed, nope, you already are on a house. It's only going to be for the people that have never, ever, ever owned a home before. And before you say, well, that's not fair. That's not what I got. It doesn't matter at this point. We don't have enough affordable housing available to people. This is how we're going to encourage them to go ahead and get into their first house and make sure they don't turn into renters for life. It will be important that it doesn't lead to like risky loan packages. And that's why I say that we should do it with only FHA, RD, and VA loans. And here's one I know that you're gonna like. If you're an institutional investor and you're thinking about buying up all of Arizona, well, you can't do that anymore. We want full legislation that says that institutional investors can't even own more than 20%. And it wouldn't matter how many shell companies that came up under different names. I'm not saying one specific institutional investors, all of them. Now this wouldn't count for condos, townhomes, apartment buildings, anything like that. This would only be for single family homes. And it wouldn't matter what company was trying to buy a house because only 20% of the county or parish could be owned by corporate investors. I think that's a really good law and I think people should consider it. <laughs> you could call that the Christina Smallhorn Savior County from corporate investors law. That seems kind of long, but I like it. <laughs> Let me know in the comment section if you like the sound of it. <laughs> the thing is, I have a lot to say about affordability. Matter of fact, I've talked about it a lot in these two videos right here, so you may want to check them out. My name is Christina Smallhorn, your real estate whisperer, and I tell you all this because good real estate information matters.